0: I wonder if there is an explanation for why you live the way that you live. An explanation for the life decisions that you make. An explanation for how you respond to whatever situation you happen to find yourself in. And if so, could that explanation, could it be narrowed to a motto or a saying of some kind why do you live the way that you live can you articulate a reason Uh, we're looking at uh philippians um because i think it is helpful for us to reflect this way as we begin a new year what are you on about and why When I was in high school, one of my mates had his life motto printed on his calculator. You picture us in maths class, and I'd look across there, the calculator's open, and it it said, if first you don't succeed, lower your standards. He wasn't the most highly motivated sort of bloke getting around. Our maths teacher used to close the lid of his calculator fairly, fairly regularly sometimes life can actually just be really hard, and we might feel as though our life motto is just simply survive. Or, or maybe uh, you like that motto, "No pain, no gain. It's a bit of a cliche really, isn't it? So you might you might be more like this person who says, "I'm not into working out. my philosophy is no pain, no pain." And I wonder if that's a good example of where we're at culturally, avoiding pain at all costs. Well, in this passage that Eliza just read for us, Paul shares his life motto, and it's verse 21. Maybe you know it already. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In this passage, we'll see how Paul lives this motto out and we'll see that Paul's passion is Jesus. His passion for Jesus shows why he is single-minded for the gospel. His passion for Jesus explains his attitude towards being in prison. His passion for Jesus explains his attitude to his rivals Paul's passion for Jesus explains his attitude to his own life and death, and it explains his attitude towards the church at Philippi. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's through this motto that Paul views life, both the good and the bad, and it's this motto that is the basis for Paul's joy. So you may, you may know, if you know Philippians, Paul is writing to his dear friends in Philippi, his dear friends who no doubt are concerned about how he's going. Uh, he's, he's locked up, so naturally they'd be worried for him. And so Paul tells them how he's going, or more to the point, he tells them how the progress of the gospel is going. You see, Paul's a little bit like the athlete or the the passionate football player. You you picture the football player who's knocked unconscious during the game. Maybe he's about to score a try and he's stretched off the field and when he regathers consciousness, he turns to the person or the people who are looking after him and he says, did we win? Or did I score that try? He he doesn't say, am I okay? Because what matters at this point is the game. For Paul, what matters is the gospel. If the good news of Jesus is continuing to spread, then Paul's okay. And so, therefore, in his letter to the Philippians right after the opening remarks and prayer, he says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It's interesting, isn't it? It's likely the Philippians would have thought that uh, by locking Paul up, the spread of the gospel would slow. The Apostle Paul, the one who has been going from place to place, proclaiming Jesus is risen, Jesus is Lord, lock this bloke up and surely the spread of the gospel will slow, if not stop, altogether. But no, Paul says his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. It's had the opposite effect. And he says this has happened in two ways. Firstly, in verse 13, he says, As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains chains for Christ. God used Paul's imprisonment to witness Christ to outsiders. It's believed that when Paul wrote this letter he was in in Rome and from Acts chapter 28 uh, we can see that Paul was under house arrest which means he was just constantly chained to a guard and this guard would have been relieved by another guard who was relieved by another guard who was relieved by another guard and so on. In this way many people would have come into contact with Paul. Paul. They would have experienced his patience, his gentleness, his courage, his complete trust in God. They would have experienced his passion for Jesus. And so through Paul living out that motto, to live is Christ and die is gain, it was clear not only to the palace guards, but to everyone in that whole region That Paul was in chains, not for some crime that he had committed, but solely for his connection with Jesus Christ, whose name he preaches. That's the first way. The second way, Paul says, the gospel has advanced is from verse 14, where he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. God actually uses Paul's imprisonment to encourage other believers to step up and speak the good news of Jesus more boldly. Doesn't seem right, does it? How does Paul's in being in prison encourage anyone to do anything? Well, it did. Paul's chains encouraged others to be willing to suffer, to take the message seriously, more seriously than their own lives. William Barclay, he said, it's when people see that we're prepared to suffer for the faith which we say we hold, that they will begin to believe that we really hold it. If a thing costs us nothing... People will value it as nothing. Um, Jen and I, I think I've told you, we've been rereading this book by Dick Lucas, Warriors of Ethiopia. You've got to get a hold of this book. It's a a wonderful, encouraging book. Uh, One day a, a bloke came to Dick, the missionary, and he said, did my dad die for Christ? And Dick had to say yes. Uh, this, this older guy was martyred for the, for the Christian faith. Did my dad die for Christ? Yes. And, and I wonder whether we, we might think now, uh, well, how dare God allow my dad to die for Christ? You know, that, that, that's not on. I'm not going to worship a God who would allow that. But this Ethiopian bloke said, well, if my dad died for Christ the least that I can do is live for him. It's a beautiful story. Paul's chains encouraged others to be bold, to be willing to suffer, to take the message seriously, more seriously than their own lives. Paul endured great hardship, but instead of feeling sorry for himself, he looked to see how God was using the situation. He saw that in his hardship, God actually multiplied his ministry. And what a great example the Apostle Paul is for us. Now, I wonder when you experience the tough stuff of life, do you look for what God is doing with you, how he's challenging you, how he's growing and developing you, And in your hardships, and I know that a number of you are are facing really hard things at the moment, in your hardships, do you look for God to use you to witness Christ to outsiders and to encourage fellow believers? It's challenging, isn't it? Because it's so tempting to just want to whinge. Paul has just said in verse fourteen how people have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly, and now in verses fifteen to eighteen he explains that some are some are preaching the message for the right reasons, out of goodwill, love for the gospel, and and love for Paul, but there are actually others who are preaching for the wrong reasons, out of envy and and rivalry. They're doing it for their own selfish ambition, not sincerely. And they're trying to bring on trouble for Paul. Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a a paraphrase of the Bible, uh, says this for verse 17. He says that they're merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition and so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. How does Paul respond to these these people who care only about themselves, these people who are trying to make things harder for them? Verse 18, but what does it matter, he says. The important thing is that that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. These men's actions would have broken, broken Paul's heart. They're trying to hurt him. They're preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus for the wrong reasons. But can you hear him saying, this isn't about me? This is about the gospel. Christ is preached, and so I rejoice. Paul's passion is Jesus. Years ago, I used to, when I was a young adult, I used to go on one of those um, church mission trips to, to Cowra. a little bit like what these guys are doing here in Bagara, the Amps team, uh, but inland New South Wales, no beach. Um, we'd share the gospel with lots of people, uh, little kids right through to, to the elderly, and we'd do it in partnership with the local church there. Uh, one of the things that we'd do as a part of the, the program was that we would present Bible talks to each other, and we'd critique each other. The idea was, you know, it gives us opportunity to have feedback so that we can improve uh, Our talks. I remember finding myself making this into a bit of a competition, sat there listening to different talks thinking, it's not so good that one, Uh, the the illustration didn't really work, uh, wasn't clearly presented, They, they didn't really get their point across, my talk is heaps better than that. Or for some of the talks, thinking, that well, this is a really good talk and there's no way that I can beat that, and then feeling like I didn't want to get up and present mine. I was comparing myself to others and forgetting that I was dealing with God's word. Instead of focusing on what God was actually saying to me, I was focusing on the ability of the person presenting it. And, of course, we we were meant to be giving each other feedback. But I took it a step further and was comparing myself to them. My my motivation was was envy and rivalry. I wanted my talk to be better. It was all about me. My motivation should have been a passion for Jesus and the gospel. In God's church, there, there is no place for envy rivalry or selfish ambition in god's church it's about jesus and and the message of the gospel Uh, unfortunately because we're sinners these things will creep in so it's good to be aware isn't it we all have different personalities different gifts Different backgrounds and these differences will be expressed in the way that we lead a prayer time or how we teach Sunday kids, how we lead music or a a small group, how we have people in our homes, how we care for others, whatever it is. It's important we don't compare ourselves to each other in that negative way, because when we do, we either feel inadequate and discouraged. I could never be like them. Or we'll put down the people we're comparing ourselves to. No, together as a team, our passion is for Jesus. Paul's told the Philippians what's been happening. And from verse 18b, he turns to the future. And he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice... For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The Philippians are praying for Paul and he says it's what? Through their prayers, that's special, isn't it? How important our prayers for our missionaries are. He says, through their prayers and the help of God's spirit, He's, it will turn out for his deliverance. But but what, what is he going to be delivered from? Will he be delivered from prison or, or, or what? Well, he's talking about his salvation in Jesus. He says in verse 20 that his hope and his, his expectation is that when he faces his accusers in court, he will not be ashamed, but he'll have the courage to speak up For Jesus, so that Jesus will be glorified whether he lives or whether he dies. He's not talking about getting out of lockup. He's talking about his ultimate salvation in Christ. And then in verse 21, out comes that life motto. The motto that has shaped his attitude towards his imprisonment, his attitude towards his rivals, And even his attitude towards his own life and death, he says, for to me, to live is Christ, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is single-minded for Jesus. To Paul, all the other things in life are insignificant. They fade into the background. His sole focus is Jesus. It's Jesus who makes the difference in his life. It's Jesus that really matters. I know a few people who would say it's money that makes the difference in our lives. It's money that matters. Others who would say it's happiness that makes the difference in life. It's happiness that matters. It's comfort, it's ease, it's um, the guy who's into money, quite a wealthy person, he spent all his energy acquiring property and building up his business. As a result, his marriage fell apart and he lost more than half his assets. So he began the process again, acquiring property and building up his his business. He's getting older too now, beyond retirement age, acquiring property and building up his business. This man has a single-minded determination to acquire material possessions. His passion for making money has shaped his attitude to absolutely everything else in life. As followers of Jesus, if you're someone who trusts and follows Jesus, we need have a single-minded determination to love him to love him above all else. It should be our passion for Jesus that shapes our attitude to absolutely everything else. It's one thing to say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But can we live that out? Too often for me and I'm sure for... For many of you as well, it's for me to live as Christ plus something else. Find yourself doing this. Yes, God, I'll trust trust and follow you. But I also want a satisfying career. I also want a comfortable lifestyle or my health or this relationship or... Um, I'll partner with you, Jesus. You can be my saviour, but I want to call the shots. Paul was prepared to put aside all things for the sake of loving others and following Jesus. And it's important for us to do the same. But what did you, is, this, is this just for the Apostle Paul? What did Jesus say in Mark 8? Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And I reckon this is a really helpful way to begin a new year. Finally, Paul actually says in verse 23, you notice this? He says that his desire is actually to depart, to die, and be with Christ, which he says is better by far. To depart and be with Christ, this is Paul's prize. There's nothing better than this. Nothing better than being with Christ in heaven, But in verse 24, he goes on to say, you Philippians, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so from verse 25 and 26, Paul is convinced that he'll be spared to see the Philippians grow in Christ. Christians often consider it a noble thing to die for, for Christ, to, to be put to death for following Christ. Jesus but in this case the noble thing for Paul to do, the harder thing for Paul to do is to go on living so that he can continue to be an encouragement to the Philippians. Do you see that Paul's passion for Jesus, it wasn't some individualistic self-satisfying relationship between him and God? without caring about anybody else? His passion for Jesus is grounded in God's love for him, which is by its very nature other person-centred. Paul would love to go and and be with Christ, to to go to heaven. But he can see it's important for the Philippians' well-being that he remains. And so he thinks this is what's going to happen. So it's a new year, 2023. They're stacking up. And when you're 40, they really stack up, you know? What's your life motto? I mean, we did the values and vision thing as a church where ordinary people who believe Jesus makes the difference in life. But what's your life motto? What's the explanation for how you live your day to day life? Can you say, for to me to live is Christ? As long as I'm alive, Jesus will be number one in my life. My focus will be on him and on him alone. Jesus is who I live for. Can you say that? And can you say to die is gain? What do you treasure? Is your treasure here on earth? In the relationships that you have here in the stuff that you own or in your job, is your treasure here on earth so that you cannot say to die is is gain? Or are you like Paul, is your treasure in heaven so that to die is gain? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray that with God's help we might live that way too. Let's pray. Uh, Loving Father, we want to pause now and thank you for the, the model that the Apostle Paul is for us. We thank you that by your work in him, he could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mighty God, forgive us for the year that is gone. Forgive us for all of the things that we've been living for apart from you. And Heavenly Father, we pray that by your word and spirit, you would help us see the treasure that we have in the Lord Jesus, the God-man who came to earth, that we might have peace with you, that we might be forgiven and restored to relationship, that we might move from death to life, that we might live for you, with you, eternally. Lord, help us to fall in love with the Lord Jesus this year. Help us to enjoy him. Help us to marvel at what you have done for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. We praise you for making us. We praise you for loving us so much that you would rather die for us than live without us. And we pray that when people want to know why we live the way that we do, the clearest and most concise explanation would be, well, for me, life is Christ and death is gain. Lord God, help us this year. Help us when we fail to come to you in repentance and enable us by your spirit to steadily live more and more for you that we as a community might honour you, that we together would enjoy you. And merciful God, we pray for the progress of the gospel, that many, many more people would have the privilege of bowing down to our King Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.